Hi, I'm your host, Dave Kemp, and this is Future Ear Radio. Each episode, we're breaking down one new thing, one cool new finding that's happening in the world of hearables, the world of voice technology. How are these worlds starting to intersect? How are these worlds starting to collide? What cool things are going to come from this intersection of technology? Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Okay, so we are joined here today by two great guests, two new guests. I'm very excited. Uh, We have Abram Bailey and Steve Taddy. So why don't we go one by one, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. We'll start with you, Abram. Yeah, so uh, my name is Abram Bailey. I am a doctor of audiology, and I run a website called hearingtracker.com. Probably a few of your listeners have heard of the website. It is primarily a consumer resource uh, for hearing aid shoppers. Uh, So people who are trying to understand the lay of the land with the the products that are available and, you know, where to go for services and what services matter, that sort of thing. Um, And I don't know how much background you want (laughs) from me, but I practiced clinically uh, for five years in New Zealand um, after going to Vanderbilt in Nashville. And then I moved back here to start up the website. And I've been doing that for the the last uh, seven or eight years. That's perfect. We'll we'll definitely uh, interject some hearing tracker talk throughout this because uh, it's a a really cool website that you've built. And I think it's going in a very interesting direction that ties into some of what we'll be talking about today. But before I get ahead of myself, Steve, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me, Dave. Um, so my name is Steve. I'm also an audiologist. Uh, background is in audio engineering as well. And I'm kind of in this interesting part of my professional career right now where I've been working in clinics since graduating. So coming up on five years now and slowly over the process of working in clinic, I've taken more and more of an interest in the educational realm. So Currently, I'm still in clinic a couple days a week. I'm teaching in a couple different colleges and universities, spanning things like audio engineering, acoustics, uh, hearing conservation, um, just general kind of ear and sound stuff, which I absolutely love. And uh, also for the past eight months now, I've been working with uh, Abram and Hearing Tracker as a a podcast host through, uh, through that platform. Yeah. No, the Hearing Tracker podcast is uh, is awesome. I'm a big fan. And, um, you know, for those of you that are, that are listening, be sure to check that out. Um, it's really cool what they've done because they uh, initially they had a, a podcast somewhat similar to this where, you know, kind of interview style. Um, but Steve and, and Abram really took it in a different direction this year. And I wanted to kind of kick things off before we do talk about, you know, kind of what's in the news and some of the big high level topics that pertain to this industry right now. I wanted to take a minute though and and hear it from you all like about this pivot, because what they've done is they've kind of transitioned to more of an NPR style approach where it focuses on like a particular topic and they get a couple different, you know, they get maybe like a, a patient and then like a expert, like maybe a clinician that specializes in whatever topic that they're talking about. But the production quality is really, really high. And I think it just sets the, what's so cool about it, in my opinion, is I think that, um, this format that I use is is definitely one of the more popular formats for podcasts. But I think that podcasts as a medium is so new, and I think that it's so exciting to see in our even in our niche of an industry that you have some creatives out there that are taking the initiative to kind of like introduce a new format and show that you know it's not like the NPRs of the world aren't limited to these kinds of things. I think that. It's, you know, it's, it's, you have the opportunity to kind of take these types of, of uh, new forms of content and do with them whatever you please. So can you just share with me, Steve, a little bit about what even, how that transpired, how you decided to pivot? Because I know it was, I think, at the start of this year. So just share with us, like, what that's been like. Sure. And uh, thanks for the plug and the, the nice words about it, too. So uh, we started the hearing tracker podcast last year and it was in this traditional two-way format you know just like a conversation like we're having right now and the reason why we ended up switching is 
personally, I wanted to get a little bit more into the sound design elements of it, having music in there, different sound effects that can help elaborate on elements that you're talking about. So for example, if we're talking about pure tone audiometry and I say something like 6,000 Hertz, that's not gonna mean much to an average person listening, but if you can then also have a little frequency sweep behind it or play a 6,000 Hertz tone, uh, it, it now extends the, the educational level of the content that we're providing. And hopefully then it also makes it more interesting. So the goal for it was really to, my goal for this, I guess, has always been to recreate in a way what it's like to be sitting in a clinical setting with an audiologist, except it's not one-on-one. -on -one. It's now one person, five people, however many are on the podcast, being able to reach as many ears as listening. So to make it as interesting as possible, as educational as possible, I really wanted to reach out and try this, uh, this more audio documentary or audio narrative format. And it's been lots of fun uh, in the process so far. I think I drive Abram crazy with some of the, uh, <laughs> the requests I have, the transcription and all the other stuff, but it's been, uh, it's been a great experience so far. Abram, you want to weigh in at all? Yeah, I mean, I've I've been a big big podcast fan for the last few years. Um, I found that as I've had more children, uh, podcasts are one of the rare forms of media that I can still consume. Uh, I can find time in the day, like when I'm on my bike going, you know, back and forth from the office, or when I'm doing dishes. Or like your your frequent guest, you know Andy Balavia. Whenever I'm out doing yard work, you know picking <laughs> up picking up leaves and stuff like that. Um, these are all good times for podcasts, and you know you can't be reading a book when you're doing all these things. So it just kind of fits into my my life really nicely, and I've I've just kind of fallen in love with some of the podcasts that I listen to. Um, just an example, Hidden Brain. I don't know if any of you guys have mm -hmm. heard that one, yeah. but it's just exceptional. Um, the quality, the stories that they tell, the, the amount that you can learn in these, you know, really short sittings, right? Um, and I think I, I enjoy the interview style podcast, but what I really wanted <laughs> was I wanted I wanted a podcast that that I would actually like want to listen to, and so that's where I kind of started to think is it, you know, is it possible? And me and Steve just sort of started having this, you know, this conversation of like, you know, is, is that something that's like way out of, you know, it, the realm of possibility or, or would you be interested, willing, you know, able to actually go to the next level with this thing? And Steve was like, yeah, I would love to do that. I'm all about it. And he even sent me a list of books that he thought <laughs> would be informative um, in, in terms of like leveling up and it was a bunch of, you know, basically how to, how to produce, you know, journalism through podcasts and that sort of thing. And I ordered all those books, like, right. As soon as he sent me that list and he, I don't know how many he read, but <laughs> I, I mean, I think them, yeah. the quality speaks for itself. Right. I mean, and, and I remember he sent me the very first one, which was, uh, I think it was the cochlear implants, right. With mm -hmm. Chad Ruffin. Yeah. Um, and I was just, instantly hooked i was actually on my way to go and get some tacos for the family in the van you know in the minivan nice. and i put on i put on the podcast and i was like i actually want to keep listening to this like <laughs> yeah so it was it was cool uh, i'm really excited about it i enjoy listening to it every time um i, I want to listen to the whole thing and i mean i i don't like to say that i didn't like it before but it just felt like more of something i had to set the, the time aside for and now it feels like something I look forward to and enjoy. Um, and I think it, you know, it is impactful. Like the people that are listening to it, you know, we've started getting more people reaching out to us, you know, saying, having questions or saying that uh, they appreciated the content or whatever. So I think our reach is still pretty limited, but we, I think the quality has gone up. We've, we've started to reach more people with it. And the people that we are reaching, I think are enjoying it more and getting more from it. Um, I don't know if I told that story well, Steve. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that's about right. And uh, yeah, and my background is in audio engineering and recording, so I really jumped at any opportunity to introduce some of those other um, audio elements into it. 
I mean, but th- this this gets at like I think what's probably one of my favorite things that's happening in this industry. Like I've been in the industry full time since 2016, which is probably. I mean, I feel like we always sort of everything comes back to Cliff a little bit, but you know, <laughs> Cliff, um, I, I think did a he he sort of was like a, a revelation, I think, for the industry, which is that you know, like that that this industry is very much capable of of. Um, from a media standpoint, really sort of capturing people's attention through these new methods of of media and new new forms of media, and and I think that it's only been cascading since then. And I mean, I see it all the time, you know, with that audiology creators group that you made, Abram, where you have people mm-hmm. that are, you know, there's all kinds of new YouTube channels. The pot, your podcast is another great example where I think that the most exciting thing that's happening is that there really seems to be this sort of grassroots groundswell movement of, of uh, creation around education. It's mm-hmm. such a, you know, th- it's such a widespread issue, hearing loss. Um, but it's one of those things that it's it's kind of hard and, and opaque to really gather information, you know, whether it be mm-hmm. where to find, you know, support and and how to like actually treat it um, and all the <laughs> opaqueness that comes along with that, which I think Hearing Tracker's done a really good job of breaking down and making things more transparent. But then again, I, I love the, you know, you, I think that your podcast does a great job of complementing the interview style where, you know, you could go and you could hear the 60-minute conversation that I had with David Eagleman where, you know, mm. I had like Jackie Scholl on there where she was talking about her daughter who actually uses the device, which I thought was like, pretty pretty cool to have that real world firsthand experience yep. but then you have in addition you have your episode where it's like Steve said you have the audio engineering it's this journalism where you really get the opportunity to play the noises and and give people a sense of like this is what we're actually talking about in real terms with the different sound effects i just i think that everything is complementing each other really nicely where what this ultimately is translating to is just a whole lot more information and education for the patient base and for the potential end users, which I think is just a huge net positive. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's probably one of the, I guess, limitations of the format that we've gone with is that I think Steve has these wonderful long form conversations with the guests and then has to sort of trim that down, you know, (laughs) and, and, and there's a lot, obviously, that's that's missed um, in that process. So it is it is really good to have, you know, your podcast, Dave, where that long form uh, interview with David Eagleman is available, you know, right. for those for those that are interested in hearing more from him. Yeah, um, cause he, has, he has a lot to say, a lot of interesting mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so. So, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And it's kind of interesting too, going to that whole creator, um, you know, community that's springing up i mean i think a lot of people are are just trying to trying to really engage their own sort of local customer base you know or potential customer base when it's audiologists like i've seen a few youtube channels like that where you know i think they're they're not trying to go full cliff and like you know get (laughs) full cliff get, (laughs) get I don't know how many subscribers he has now. What is he like up to? Like, I don't know. 30,000 well, 30, well 30, or I can't remember. He's got yeah, a lot. Well over, I think a hundred now. Is it? Yeah. Gosh, uh, I lost count, but you know, obviously he's like an international, you know, audiology superstar, sensation. but you don't, you don't have to get a sensation. <laughs> you don't have to go that far with it. Right. You I mean, if you're, I, I guess what, what I'm trying to say right now is that if there's anybody here on this podcast right now, listening that is thinking about being creative. Um, you don't have to be, you know, reaching yeah. the entire globe to make an impact. Um, you could reach your local community, even if it's just posting videos on your own website, because uh, people are out there searching for help and, you know, they might stumble on something really helpful and you can take that opportunity to educate and maybe even, you know, build a relationship and find a new customer. So um, absolutely encourage that. <laughs> yeah. And again, again, like Dave, you said, and real good information too, because we're all flooded with so much content and we're in the field, obviously. So we have a background in science and understanding of what might be a little bit more accurate. But if you're someone who has a hearing loss or a family member of someone who has a hearing loss, you have no clue what is pseudoscience, what is actual science, good mm-hmm. research, poor research, just marketing, marketing angles and information in that sense. So 
I love the fact that we have all these um, these people now who are actually taking the initiative to make content that is useful, directed not towards selling anything other than just genuine information, like directly mm -hmm. from uh, a, a person who has the experience. Yeah, I mean, I think that this actually kind of segues perfectly into what we're going to be talking about today. The real meat and potatoes of this conversation is going to be kind of like what's happening right now in this in this whole sort of industry, this ecosystem, which is like the competitive environment is just really starting to heat up. And to Abram's point, I think that, you know, it's like, I think that it's all going to come back to, you know, if, if those that are listening today, like some of you are maybe... Um, practicing audiologists or, you know, you, you own a clinic or something like that. Um, it's, it's always sort of been like, you know, how do I stand out? But that it's like the game is now being played by more people. And I think the competitors are, are just growing in their prowess. And, and so a lot of sort of the traditional, um, I don't want to say like dismissiveness, but some of the old adages that existed as to why these things weren't necessarily threats or opportunities, but that there was almost a sense of like you could dismiss them um, for any number of reasons, whether it be the regulatory hurdles, which we know to be in the process, an extremely long process of being broken down through OTC, um, or it just be that you know, they're not well-funded or whatever that might be. But a lot of this stuff is kind of going out the window. And so I think that what we're, you know, to kick things off, it, you know, let's talk through some of the big things that have happened. And, and then I want to come full circle talking about, you know, what as a provider, as a you know, professional in this industry, like how, how can you still make sense of this and do well with it, like actually really succeed and be successful off the back of a what I think is actually a growing set of opportunities. So let's start with um, the first of the two big news. Uh, Sonova buys Sennheiser for roughly $241 million. So quick takes and what what are your guys like what was your initial <laughs> thoughts with this when this came out? Because I think this was a really interesting one if Sennheiser is a big consumer brand, and I know that like for for where I stand with kind of one foot in uh, this industry, but then I you know also in like the voice space, that took a lot of people by surprise because everybody was just under the impression that like well wouldn't Sennheiser buy the hearing aid brand? And and this is what I've kind of been trying to say is that like these hearing aid brands are big and they they're cash rich, and so you know I think that it just speaks to this macro trend that's happening right now where it's acquisitions and spending sprees I think are on the horizon and mm. I think that this just feels like a pretty big shot across the bow of like okay here we go game on yeah and Sennheiser uh, I looked it up they actually have been around since 1945 so they beat out Sonova by a few years <laughs> and like you said the Sonova <laughs> ended up purchasing them uh, and to answer your question the first this is this is really selfish but the first thought I had when I I was when I found out that Sennheiser was purchased, I was disappointed actually because uh, I, I love Sennheiser. I use their equipment. Some of the first studio headphones I ever had were Sennheiser headphones. <laughs> love their shotgun mics. I use them all the time. And you know, traditionally, I don't necessarily think hearing aid companies know how to approach sound quality from a consumer standpoint. Consumer being like pro audio someone mm. who is looking for high fidelity sound quality. So my selfish first thought was, oh no, all this audio gear that uh, that I've, I've learned to love and use, uh, <laughs> it might be on the downturn. And this, this happens all the time with audio companies too, where a big one will be purchased and then it changes, you know, the capsules and, you know, the way some of the, the equipment is uh, manufactured. But uh, on a more positive note, and I think that is one of the biggest or not one of the biggest, but a big issue with hearing technology is I don't think there is as much focus on what good sound quality can be. And there are many reasons for that with different fittings and um, needing to leave the ear canal more open. And we can always get into stuff like that a lot more with some of the other devices. But hopefully then this pairing is a little bit of both worlds where then from the distribution side that Sennheiser has and the brand awareness and uh, loyalty, maybe that does improve accessibility for people. And then on the other end, maybe they can take their understanding of sound quality 
and what is a pro audio, a good sonic experience, and deliver that then through some of those now hearing devices. That's really mm-hmm. interesting. I hadn't really considered the pro audio angle like you described there, but um, I do think there's probably an element of truth to that. And that's going to be really interesting to see is um, I think there's a lot of kind of exciting applications when you think about like Sonova's technology being embedded inside of these consumer oriented devices. Um, but kind of goes the other way is like, well, does that then somehow depreciate maybe the pro audio side of these devices and somehow degradate that, you know, that element of things. So what about you, Abram? What, what, what's your thoughts from this? Um, yeah, I have, I have, I have some thoughts. One, one question I had about what Steve said was with the pro audio side, um, I guess I don't really know their, their business that well in terms of like the Sennheiser um, consumer audio division, right, is, is effectively what was sold. Does consumer audio do the like shotgun mics and the types of headphones that you wear? I guess that's the part I don't understand is like, I don't know what products are in what part of their portfolio, like what's in the consumer division and what's in, and like what other divisions do they have? I guess I don't know the company that well. I know that, you know, Sennheiser has a uh, collaboration with DeMont, um, but that's more pro audio. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so there's, there's many things going on with Sennheiser in the hearing aid world. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so it, do you, do you know, Steve, how that all works or like uh, what, what does the consumer audio umbrella, what's under that? Is that just like headphones or does that include mics and things? You know, I didn't do a bunch of research on it again. That was my gut reaction. And I had to really quickly push that away. Like, no, these are these are all great audio companies and they'll make it work. But yeah, I mean, I would assume maybe it is more directed towards their headphones and ear-based technology and not so much the pro audio level with like the shotgun mics and some of the well, other Well, now you'll be able to sleep. <laughs> I know you you saved me. Thank you. Um, sorry. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Um I, I think, you know, so I guess the first one was GN, which owns Resound, right? Yeah. They they also have Jabra, right? And I guess with Jabra, that's more like office, you know, ear level stuff. Um, I think I think I might be wearing Jabra right now. I'm not sure uh, for the for this conversation, but it's like a lot of like office mics and headphones and things like that. Yeah, a lot um, of enterprise, a lot of enterprise sales. But of course, there's like a lot of questions there of, you know, what will Jabra represent for GN once we get into this less regulated, you know, OTC world? Will Jabra become, you know, a, a brand that has some relevance um, for for headphone consumer headphones and things that are going to be equipped with, uh, you know, hearing aid technology? Or are they going to just put everything under under Resound? And then DeMont, you know, obviously came to market with the Philips brand, you know, uh, for, for Costco. And again, you have to wonder, is, is that something that maybe they had started when OTC was expected a lot er- earlier? Um, and, you know, once OTC hits, are we going to start seeing, you know, Philips hearing aids at, at Walmart and Best Buy? I don't know. Um, it's, it certainly makes sense from that perspective of like, well, Sonova was kind of behind in terms of where the competitors were, in terms of having a household brand that they could sort of use as like their their DTC, you know, direct consumer solution. Um, potentially, that's what this is going to be about. I don't know. Um, I have like no insider knowledge, <laughs> but it, but it, but you can kind of see how everybody's you know gearing up, right? Um, and I don't think Sonova wanted to be left behind on that. Um, I think you know. Probably along with that purchase, they're going to be getting a lot of the people that were involved in the previous business. So all the Sennheiser engineers and stuff, um, I would anticipate that, you know, probably you're not going to start getting, you know, crappy headphones anytime soon, <laughs> Steve. I'm, I'm sure they're going to still, you know, hopefully produce the same quality and, you know, hope, hopefully still produce those products and focus on those those consumer products. Um yeah. And I, I mean, I guess time will tell sort of where that where that's all headed. Um, and, and can they take some of their, you know, high quality audio and, and import that into their hearing aid business or not? Um, you know, because like you said, you have the open ear, you have the power limitations. You know, there's all these issues that 
limit, you know, the driver size and how much power you can send to the driver and stuff. So, um, you know, so I guess it's a new world. <laughs> I guess like the Bose earphones, you know, they're an example of, uh, you know, something like a hearing aid that used a more close fitting or the new Hura IQ Buds. There's, there's some products out there, or I guess even the AirPods now. Um, and so if that's going to be, you know, a popular category for people that want a more closed fitting um, and a consumer brand, you know, maybe Sennheiser starts producing things like that instead of, you know, what we commonly think of as like a Rick, you know, traditional type hearing aid. Um, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> no, I, I think those are great thoughts. I mean, it's right now it's like everybody's just sort of. Um, trying to kind of put the pieces together to figure out what's going on. It's it's like I said earlier too, where it's like you know one of the things with the the next piece of news is um, we're going to talk about the Bose thing in a minute. You know the Bose hearing aid that's coming out, but it's like you know in there it mentions how it's only going to be available in five states initially, and it's like well mm-hmm. obviously with the way that the OTC bill is structured right now, like we're in this really weird limbo phase. But it's like we're we're kind of like getting equal parts like a peek behind the curtain of what's coming it's like you said it's like i mean i you have to imagine that the reason that demont bought phillips is exactly as you described that at some point they're going to utilize it as their consumer brand um you know and and it seems like sonova like with sennheiser it's kind of along somewhat of the same vein but again it's like we're in this kind of weird holding pattern right now where it's tough to really be able to say like you know, it's like we, we're kind of seeing the board being set, but the game can't really start and it's kind of started, but not really. So it's just this really weird period <laughs> of time right now that is like, mm. you know, it's one foot in both both worlds, it feels like. So it's just kind of bizarre. Yeah, totally. And so I wanted to read this, though, because I, I thought this was really interesting. So I pulled this from the, the, the Sennheiser um, press release or the Sonova press release when they bought it. So um, I just want to kind of like talk through this piece because it says, this acquisition supports an important element of Sonova's strategy to reach ever more consumers, whether their journey towards better hearing begins, personal audio devices have become an integral part of everyday life as people interact with their digital devices increasingly through sound. Sonova believes that such complementary solutions will ultimately expand the traditional hearing aid market by increasing adoption rates this acquisition significantly accelerates Sonova's own efforts in this area. So, I mean, I think this makes sense, but I do think that it's interesting, like, again, it goes to this whole idea that hearing aids historically haven't really catered to these people that they're, that we always hear about. Like, the listeners are probably getting tired of me always talking about this seven-year gap or the 10-year gap, but, I mean, it really feels like that's who is being addressed with all of these moves is it's not really being it's not really targeting the people that would be buying hearing aids it's the people that are apprehensive for whatever reason and they're trying to cater to these people whether it be you know this in year two or year five before they actually would have made that move and so I think that ultimately sort of begs the question like is this just entirely new business for everybody or is this going to somehow cannibalize that early end of the market because you know if you're getting your first device um and it's one of these introductory devices does that somehow cannibalize the the hearing aid sale down the line um it just seems like that's the biggest thing that's really being addressed by all this is this gap and getting people to just take action sooner in one for one reason or another what do you two think about that yeah, and that's really interesting. Um, I do think a lot of these devices, it's almost like they are their approach isn't okay. We're going to sell you a device specifically to aid your hearing. It's almost like here's a device to listen to music, to stream phone calls, stream television. And by the way, since it's already in your ear, let's help you hear a little bit better too with some type of in situ audiogram or um, like tilt shift spectral adjustment to it. So, yeah, I don't think it would be any type of cannibalism at this point you know obviously we know there's very low um, penetration or just acceptance of hearing aids across many many different um, across different countries whether they are offered free through insurance or not so i think it just comes down to it's really hard to create a one-size-fits-all solution for hearing 
and there are many different types of hearing losses, different types of ears, lifestyles, needs. So, yeah, I think it's just this this kind of yin and yang between some companies like the hearing aid manufacturers that are currently there. They're trying to create devices that can fit the majority of people. Like let's say 80% of the population, just a, a device that's as good as possible for as many people as possible. And I think some of those other people um, who are excluded by that, these other devices, like the new Hera, the, the Apple AirPods Pro, they can facilitate that a little bit more too. So I don't think it's cannibalism. I think like you said, Dave, it is just a different kind of piece of the, the puzzle for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I feel like, you know, with this, uh, there's so much fear, it seems like, and yeah. maybe that's not the right word, but I feel like it's like people are, um, and when I say people, I, I think that there's there's a overall mentality in the hearing health industry that that these sort of are going to erode the current business model or they're going to um, somehow displace this business, right? And again, if you look at the, if you kind of like really look into what they're talking about, what they're saying is like, we're trying to expand the market. And so the question then becomes, how does the provider, how does the professional actually involve themselves in some of these offerings? Like the Bose piece, which also was introduced. So, you know, last week, Bose came out, they've, they've been sort of in the mix for a little while. They had this uh, de novo status that they had with the FDA where they went and they kind of, you know, in the interim before this OTC legislation is passed, they got a, approval to have a self-fit device. And now we see what it looks like. And it's, again, it's kind of like one of these things where you have to look at it and it's like, it's self-fit and it's bought online. So for these kinds of things, it's it's sort of like, where does the provider fit into that? And maybe the, and, and what I've been really trying to kind of get to the bottom of it is maybe there isn't really a play. And that's the point is that these aren't meant to be something that you're necessarily involved with. It's just that it might ultimately usher them to you sooner than if they have this go unchecked and they just don't treat them with anything. So it's, it's almost a catalyst to, to sort of get them to you sooner. Maybe that's five years instead of seven years. I mean, that's sort of where my head's at. And I want to kick it to you guys to get your thoughts on this because I just don't necessarily see the play with the way that the provider fits into some of these real self-fit sort of direct-to-consumer offerings. Yeah, I, I love this discussion of uh, how devices like this will affect the field of audiology, the practice of audiologists, and the traditional model. And I don't know if it's just a soapbox discussion. There's so many different avenues in this. But something that I will say is, and I think all audiologists would agree with this, just because someone doesn't want to come to your facility for hearing help, it doesn't mean you don't want them to have good hearing. So if there is another right. device that works out for them, of course, use it. If it helps you out, then that's great. And I think the sticking point for a lot of people is, are these at-home self-fit devices, are they accurate? Are they actually proving benefit? And are they going to catch something more serious like an ear infection? Are they going to catch something more serious like a mass occupying lesion or something that could be treated more appropriately through another measure? And I think that leads perfectly to where audiologists can be. And that would be, we can take a step back from viewing ourselves as clinicians in the standpoint of we fit hearing aids and that is our day-to-day -day model. And it can be, hey, look, we have this entire entire platform of you know, that, that is our scope of practice. So if there are devices and there are other providers who can fit these devices, why don't we then focus on those other areas, which arguably are more appropriate, I would say, for audiologists to be focusing on like tinnitus, hearing conservation, you know, vestibular, there's, there's lots of auditory processing disorders or rehabilitation. There are lots of areas that I think fall short because currently there's not good reimbursement for them. So right. they aren't fit well into the business model. So I would personally love to see that if hearing aids cannot be taken off of our plate, but if we can have a little bit more space and then reimbursement to focus on these other areas, I think that would be a, a wonderful boon to the field of audiology and just hearing healthcare in total. Yeah. I mean, I like realistically looking at, at where the technology is, um, you know, 
like the sum total of it, you know, this, this Bose fitting, this self-fitting hearing aid from Bose is it's legit. You know, it, it, they, they, it's at legit. Least, it's at legit. least if, if you believe the, the study, which, you know, Bose was involved, like people at Bose were involved in, you know, um, the, the self-fitting software, and it's not, it's not the first study that that fitting software has been involved with. It's, uh, you know, the ear machine app on Apple, on iOS, yeah. um, that, that software is sort of like the, 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 the foundation that was the original app that essentially Bose bought. And it's now the foundation of how, how their audio hardware works, right? Like you, you drive it through this app, which has this, these two wheels and what they found um, is that people, when, when given this app and these two wheels, as long as they have mild to moderate hearing loss and, and no worse than that, um, they are able to get themselves on average to a similar place that they would be if they had had real ear measurements run, right? So there's really, and, and there's more, there's more than that in terms of like they did speech and noise testing, they did sound quality, um, you know, subjective sound quality questionnaires and stuff. Basically, on every dimension, these things work, right? And people even preferred the sound over the sound they would have gotten if they had done the perfect REMS fitting. So these devices are definitely competitive um, for those who have mild to moderate hearing loss um, and who are inclined to you know, use, use an app like that to self-drive things. Um, so you know, to your point, though, is that removing that part of the market or are we just talking about creating like a new market with with these people that were in this like holding pattern for seven years or what um i think it's a little bit of of both um and so i think i think there's going to be a lot of hearing aids still on the plate for audiologists i mean there's going to be you know people who have more severe hearing loss there's going to be people who have complex needs there's going to be people with um, dexterity issues people who are just you know, who just want to have their hand held for whatever reason, um, there's still going to be a lot of people left. But I do think that as this technology improves further and further, as we start to see, you know, the artificial intelligence, machine learning stuff become more robust. Like if you look at like what whisper hearing is doing yeah. right now with denoising, um, you know, having a perfect, you know, best uh, audibility gain curve becomes less important, right? Um, like, because now you're you're able to accurately separate out background noise and produce like clear speech. Having audibility is still important, but you know, a, a decibel here and a decibel there, it's not such a big deal. You know, people are just going to raise the volume and they're going to get clear speech, and it's going to be okay for the most part, right? And those things aren't even in the self-fitting market now. Imagine the marriage between a Bose hearing aid and a whisper. Right where you can mm -hmm. get the Bose hearing aid, you can essentially give yourself audibility pretty easily, um, and you've got denoising built in. Now, that's the question: is like, why do people who can, can use that solution, why do they need to see an audiologist um, to have real ear measurements run? Right. I'm not saying that there aren't other reasons that an audiologist should be involved. I still think that the audiologist should be the first stop in terms of getting a diagnostic you know, assessing the, the whole, you know, hearing health situation. Um, in the future, I think sometimes people might decide to go and get a Bose hearing aid after doing that, right? Mm. Um, or maybe, you know, you're going to find some people get a Bose hearing aid, but then they still have problems like with maintenance. You know, maybe they sweat a lot or maybe they have earwax. And a lot of the audiologist's job right now is kind of like a service technician with all of the stuff that goes wrong with hearing aids. You know, you guys know that. It's like mm -hmm. half the visit, not half the visits, but so many of the visits that you have, you know, when you're practicing audiology is people coming in for troubleshooting with, you know, wax issues or things breaking or whatever, right? And so the question I have right now is this is a really new market for a company like Bose. What are they gonna experience out there in the real world you know, with people trying to use these devices um, on their own, how many people are going to be fully capable of doing all of those like day-to-day -day maintenance things without any help, from, like hands-on assistance from a professional? So I think there's still going to be, even when the technology is perfect, I still think there's going to be a role, right, for somebody to play 
in, in that. And, and then of course, like I said, you've got all of those classes of people who, you know, this product is not going to be intended for them. So I, I think hearing aids aren't going to be completely off the table anytime soon, but um, I, I to, to Steve's point, I think now is the time to start trying to figure out like, how do we expand the scope of practice? How do we work to our full scope of practice? How do we get reimbursed on the full scope of practice? Right. Um, for me personally, like I loved hearing aids. I really loved hearing aids like that's and that you can tell, like, that's why I started hearing tracker, you know, for me, <laughs> like I was really fascinated by the technology. Um, I really loved how the technology can change people's lives. You know, it's just, it's this amazing treatment that we have. Um, and so I personally am not envious of those who are like myself, really into hearing aids who are watching this all unfold because there are so many questions. You know, I personally wouldn't have wanted to go into tinnitus counseling or, you know, Vistib or anything like that. <laughs> I loved working with hearing aids, you know? Um, so it's a hard, it's a hard thing. And I don't think we have the full complete answer yet, <laughs> but I would say take it seriously, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, cause like, I, I think that th this obviously is a lot of, of what has been discussed on this podcast before. Um, but I think that it's just like, it just continues to become more pronounced every episode because it just, mm -hmm. there's just something new that happens that sort of continues to add to this whole notion and this narrative. And it's just, as Steve said, it's like, I think that there's such an impetus now on decoupling from the hearing aid sale itself um, and going more toward a service-based model. Because the fact of the matter is that there's really, there's nothing that suggests that the demand for the audiological component of this, the service and the, and the expertise is going anywhere but up. I, I firmly believe that as a market expands, um, you know, it's just like you said, Abram, where whether it's that initial diagnostics piece or it's the follow-up in the service element and all of the auditory processing, oral re rehabilitation, tinnitus, like everything that you listed there, Steve, it's like these things that are truly part of that medical acumen that this particular professional, it's in their domain. Um, the question is, how, how do you make it so that you can compensate and you can sort of pivot back toward a model that is a little bit more medically oriented, I think, you know, especially for the audiologist, because I don't think that there's any real threat to that particular job security, because I think that demand's going up. What is in jeopardy is this business model, because I think that if, if you're looking at a future that seems to be coming quicker and quicker every single day, that is like, you know, you have this option of getting something that is maybe quite suitable for you that doesn't necessarily require the high price tag that a premium level hearing aid does. And if your entire business is dependent on that, I feel like that that's, that's the real that's the real mm. crisis that, that needs to be navigated right now is to figure out, you know, I think it started with the conversation around unbundling and even itemizing services not long ago, but I think that now it's, it's accelerating in a way where you have to really come up with, you know, and this is where I was trying to get at before is like with the Bose product, like if you completely invert your business model to where you are rather than low low volume, high premium, if you flip it and that you're high volume, so you're seeing a whole lot of people. And that's a big question as to like, what does that look like? Is it a very much online centric thing? Do you have to hire technicians so that you can sort of outsource some of that actual in-clinic work um, so that you don't occupy the audiologist so much and that maybe they're playing more of that dentist role where you have the hygienist doing the bulk of the work and the dentist comes in and they come and they actually look at a particular aspect of the teeth or something like that. Again, these are just lots of ideas that I have going on in my head right now, which is, again, it all comes back to the same thing, which is I think that the, the actual demand for the medical expertise and the domain expertise of this professional is, is going nowhere but up. And it's a matter of like, how do you, how do, how do we as an industry properly recalibrate ourselves so that that this element is 
is able to compensate for what I think will just inevitably be a little bit of a depreciating revenue stream of, of like device sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, unbundling, you know, is, is something that I, you know, we've, I guess we've been talking about that for years, Dave. Um, and I, I thought by now, you know, what is it, 2021, like that we would be further along on that. Uh, I know that there are more and more audiologists offering unbundling all the time, but it's still, I, w- I would assume, a small minority, you know, of practices that are doing that. Um, but it seems to make sense to me because, uh, you know, if you, if you think about like a Bose device, right, you know, if somebody does need help with a device like that, why should it be any different for like a person to come and get your help with whatever aspect they, that they need help with? Why should it be any different than if they came to you and got hearing aids through you, exactly. right? Like, exactly. you know, it's, it, I think that's the, the decoupling that needs to happen. I honestly think it, it adds more trust into the whole thing anyway. Totally. Um, like I just had a phone call with a, a, a colleague of mine, um, you know, a, a, <clears throat> a LinkedIn contact of mine. We had a phone call and he was asking me about his wife. And, you know, he said, oh, you know, my wife went to the, doc, uh, to the audiologist and she got a, a test. They said it was mild to moderate. And they said, you know, that, that she could get hearing aids or she could just, you know, ride it, ride it out for a little bit longer. And I was thinking to myself, if, if that audiologist didn't have a conflict of interest in, in making a sale, he would have never said that. He would have never, or she, I don't know if it was a, a guy or a girl, they would have never said that, right? Mm-hmm. Because any audiologist knows that mild to moderate hearing loss is, is serious. Like we're not talking about mild hearing loss. People with mild hearing loss have problems. Mild to moderate, like you're the next level up. You've got problems. You should do something. And, you know, you can't make that kind of confident recommendation as easily when, you know, there's that conflict of interest of like, I'm trying to sell you something right now. You know, I hate to say that, but that's just the way it is. And it would be really nice if, you know, for example, audiologists were like, you know what, go get the Bose hearing aid. And then, you know, you can buy a service package with me or you can come and pay by the hour, right? As long as your time is compensated for, like as long as you're being paid your professional rate right. for, your hour, for your hours, you know, as long as you can work that out, you shouldn't have any problem. You know, you shouldn't have any like deteriorating revenue stream because <laughs> like you say, there's just going to be more and more people out there needing help with devices wherever they bought them. Right. Um, and I, I think people are still going to be willing to buy devices on an audiologist, but I think that the pricing pressure, like it's going to go hard. It's going to start hitting really hard. And I don't know that people are still going to be okay with looking at, you know, even two, three, four, you know, thousand dollars, much less five, six, seven, which is, like happening all the time today. But anyway, Steve, Steve what do you think? <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I agree with you in that, you know, these devices can definitely fill that void. Uh, what I always come to though, and I know this is slightly different though. Um, Dave, I believe on your previous episode, you had uh, Dr. Natalie with you and she's yeah. actually, we graduated in the same class. Oh, nice. Okay. And uh, I, I love what she has to say about, you know, student debt and, it can be crippling and my mind goes to, is it really um, viable, like a viable business plan then for you to go to school for that long if you're facilitating basically then these other devices? And I think that question will come up more from the consumer side on uh, potentially why am I gonna go to a facility and uh, get some of these services done if I can get it done automatically through a hearing aid, like a hearing test, for example. And I'm not saying that they're as accurate because in situ are not. Um, it, it all depends on the coupling with your ear canal, the environment, but, and then also from the standpoint from audiologist and audiologist to be, like, is that a viable career path for them? So like you said, way back, Dave, like this is uncharted territory and how do we figure out where our role will be? And yeah, I can't imagine if you are a student at this point, um, in your first year, even if you're finishing up, you know, your <laughs> collegiate career and entering graduate school. Uh, this is this is a lot of uncertainty for you too, just entering in. Mm. Yeah, I, I I fully agree. I mean, I think that there is again, it's it's sort of. I feel like that the, this is all sort of like we kicked the can down the street for a long time because we could, and I'm saying we 
as in like the industry. So I, I really don't mean to generalize because I've talked to so many people that are so inspiring with the their just sheer ability to really get a handle on this and like are doing awesome. And so this isn't meant to be directed at like any one person and saying that like writ large, this industry is failing or anything like that. I think it's more of just like this, this sort of existential fear of we as an industry, I think need to really get together here and figure this out because I think that there is a, there's a possibility that, you know, that, that this domain that the professional really should own gets sort of, um, hijacked in a way, you know, whether it be through consumer technology companies that that come across as being very medically oriented and they're maybe it goes back to what we were saying before about the, the education piece and the misinformation that exists out there. So I think there's a huge imperative on just the collective education that comes forward from this industry, from within the industry. But I think that, it, it, that the, the fact of the matter is, is, is like, you know, what in three to five years from now, when OTC is fully in in the market, you have, you know, these uh, hearing aid companies, you know, buying up all kinds of different consumer audio companies that are fleeing the consumer audio space because they're getting attacked by Apple and Samsung and these companies that have the handset manufacturers that have a whole lot of either vertical integration or they have the ability to package their headphones with the handset device. So I think that there's a huge impetus for Sennheiser to move more into an area that's maybe a little bit more medical. So I think that's this makes a lot of sense. But then it, again, it kind of comes back to, okay, so you're going to basically get into this period, it sure seems like it at least, where you have premium hearing aids and then you have hearing aid companies' consumer offerings more or less, which will be like hearing aids targeted toward mild to moderate type losses, I would think, that are whether they're going to be self-fit or the point of the matter is, is like this is there's so many new things that are going to come in. And so it's a question of like, are you willing to really think differently than we've ever thought before? And, me, and what I mean by that is it's probably going to mean that if you really want to participate in this more mild to moderate self-fit market that's really going to be getting tackled at scale, you have to probably come at it from an entirely new approach. And you have to even ask yourself, do I want to be a part of that? Like, is that, does that fit into what I want? Um, so I just think that we're, we're moving into this period where the, the person that really is going to benefit is the end user, I think. But I think that that the audiologist and that the hearing professional has a huge opportunity to make it very well known that like they exist and that there is this there is this option yes you can go do it yourself yes you can do self-fit but for many of you you might want a expert right you want that lifelong expert that can help to guide you through this and i think that's like probably what most audiologists were in this to begin with and i think that this sort of is shaping up to give you that opportunity i think at a scale that we've not seen before because we're, I think, getting closer and closer to a point where you're going to just see a giant increase in the amount of people that are treating these things from an early stage onward. And I think that it just all kind of compounds on itself like a snowball because you got somebody that's now treating this. You got a set of people that's treating it 10 years prior than they would have. And so you add all of that you know, all those incremental people and it just creates more opportunity, I would think. But it's a matter of you have to think differently. It's not just like these are going to be, you know, I'm going to be able to treat this just like I had been treating it or my, the people that came before me, that's their business model and they did it. Everything feels like is, you know, it's changing in, in many ways. Yeah. Uh, what the popular stat I believe is what every day, 10,000 yeah, baby, baby boomers. boomers turn 65 or older. And that's on one side of the scale. And then if you look on the other side, we see hearing injury skyrocketing in school-aged in children and kids, preteens, because of the use of earbuds and just how loud our environment is. So you're right. There is going to be such a flux of people in need of hearing help. And I like what you said, too, that in three to five years, this isn't uh, like a contingency. This is just a waiting game. It's going to happen. These direct-to-consumer devices are not going anywhere. This is just the next stage in the evolution of hearing technology and just medical care too we see it across the board 
with with vision with dental that it's this platform now of you'll get something delivered to your door and maybe it is in a guided uh, process of rehabilitation uh, that is guided by you know a doctor and i see this all the time with like the dental field right you know yeah. braces it used to be this thing where you had to go there on a weekly basis and i don't think anyone really wanted to do that but now you can have it mailed directly to your your house but you have the confidence then of knowing that at least there is a dentist who's behind whatever your your plan is for your dental health so i i think there are definitely good signs like that and the growing need for hearing help yeah it's just a matter of not kicking the can down any further it's just yeah like taking a taking a stand to see how we can embrace this um, with the full with our full like knowledge yeah i mean i think as we sort of come full circle here like i said i, I wanted to talk through sort of the change that's occurring and the potential trajectory that that we're on right now that seems to be being validated each and every week which is like you know there's going to be more complexity in the market. There's going to be solutions that are tailored to different ends of the spectrum of the hearing loss spectrum that hadn't really been there before. And I think that, again, it all comes back to like what Abram said at the beginning, where it's like, you know, what's exciting and where I think a big opportunity exists is, you know, if you are that local provider and you want to really own your local market or you want to extend some of your services online. I think that it's on you. And I think that this is what's exciting is that it ties into everything that's happening kind of at large with the creator economy. You know, I had this conversation with Natalie and, and Ashley last episode where, you know, it's like what's I think that there's a lot that you can learn from some of the people that are that are starting to do this where they're recognizing start a YouTube channel and make it something where it's geared toward the people that are in your local area so that they can go to that as a source of information. An Instagram page, right? Mm. These things, they might sound kind of trivial, but if you really understand, like, this is the way that most people gather their information today, and it, it can be in any different thing. Just find whatever works for you, but start thinking about what are the ways that people would maybe even search me out in the first place and meet them in the middle to some place where you know, like, all right, yeah, then I can, these are the frequently asked questions. These are the things that I have that typically I encounter on that first visit where people said, this is the reason why I came to see you. So just put yourself in their, in their shoes a little bit and start using these tools that are at your disposal. And I don't mean this to be something where it's like this, like we all need to become YouTubers or anything like that. <laughs> the broader point is, is that I think that if, if, if you're kind of the, your core value is yourself and your expertise, you have to sort of be aware that many consumers out there don't even know that you exist. They might not even know that like an audiologist ex exists, like what that profession is. So there's a tremendous opportunity from an education standpoint. And I just wanted to get your thoughts there as we kind of come to the close here, because um, I feel like this can help to bring things a little bit full circle about mm. where again, staying upbeat, staying positive and thinking about like, this as an opportunity again if if the idea is that things are the market is expanding in a big way that does present opportunities i would think yeah i want to respond about that because i think one thing that's really interesting about dr cliff's approach is that he talks about the products that are direct competitors or threats to his business all the time right he makes videos about costco and even talks about how how wonderful costco is um, for consumers, you know, he's reviewed uh, numerous direct-to-consumer products on his channels before. And, you know, his approach is basically, look, these are the things that people are already out there looking for, um, that this is going to make an inroad into, you know, into our expertise, right? Like, we're the experts, like, we can tell people about these products in a way that no one else can. We can tell them the pitfalls that they may not be aware of. Um, and we can tell them like what gold standard care looks like, you know, and what the things are that they might be foregoing by, you know, by going around the traditional channel. And so he's used that and leveraged that, you know, almost like a superpower to draw in an audience. Um, and not only does that leverage his own business, you know, he, he people fly in from all over the country to go and be treated by Dr. Cliff and, generally, 
you know, he, he tells me that most of them do buy premium hearing aids and, you know, package and everything like that. But he's also got a network of providers that he's able to draw consumers into and, and they're getting customers, you know, so, so Cliff's approach, I think he's proven, right, like that we should be having those conversations, we shouldn't be scared of these threats, we shouldn't be trying to ignore them. Consumers want that want us to be honest with them, right? Like they want honesty. Sure. They value they value that above all else. If we're willing to talk about those things that are a threat to us, I think that you know that builds that relationship of honesty, um, and they're more willing to listen to the things that we have to say about our services and about the importance of of our care, right? So so those are those are just some points because so many like Cliff and I have had this conversation a bunch of times, and you know he's just always frustrated that you know he when he makes a video about Costco or about a Bose hearing aid or whatever he'll start getting emails angry messages from audiologists saying like why are you telling them that you know like why are you giving away these secrets <laughs> as know? if that information is somehow <laughs> going to never reach the hands of the exactly I mean, you're able to shape the narrative that way at exactly. least exactly you can involve yourself and I, I i fully agree with cliff and you here yeah so, I mean, so there's an opportunity, right? That's low hanging fruit. Like anybody can, you know, buy a pair of Bose hearing aids and review them or whatever, or just talk about it. You know, it's, it's not going to be the end of the world and it will people, it will pull people off of the internet. Um, that's one thing about the internet. That's really interesting. You know, if you go to Google and you search for the Bose hearing aid, if you have an audiology expert, you know, in your area, who's written an article or made a video about the Bose hearing aid, Google's more likely to, to surface that for that person because there's a, a local ranking dimension on Google, right? So there's there's really some novelty there for people who are trying to stand out. Um, so you, you don't have to be at the cliff standard, right? <laughs> because you've got Google's uh, local, you know, uh, working for you uh, to, to, to surface you. So anyway, that's all I've got on that. Uh, <laughs> pass the mic to Steve. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I like what both of you said about just general education and uh, you know, we shouldn't run away from the new technologies that are out there. We shouldn't run away from the studies. Uh, like I believe it was, it was Andrew Zabin in, in 2020, right. With the, uh, with the Bose earphones. No, it was before the earphones where they just tested the technology to see how close it is. Mm-hmm. I think this is, this is where our meat and potatoes is understanding what research is out there, what technology is out there. And then we can be like the arbiters of all that information to consumers and people with hearing injury. And I, it'd be fantastic to see a clinic that had a full range of just technologies and resources available. And I know there are plenty of places that do this where you have areas that have the hearing conservation, different earplugs, because they're as varied as they are for eye protection as well. Yep. Many people try and wear the equivalent of like a welding mask when they go to the beach mm-hmm. with hearing protection. And it, it's just, there's, there's a whole area there. There's a whole area with hearing technology and the tr- traditional hearing aids model. And then there's now all this new area of OTC and, you know, the Bose sound control and you hear the Apple AirPods pro. So, yeah, I think it's just learning about all of it, understanding how it can be utilized to help people hear better. And that's just what it comes down to. Right. I think that and not and not being so adversarial to something that maybe, you know, you feel threatened by, even though it could really stand to benefit your patient and understand that, you know, the patient can be your it can be your customer in many different ways. And whether that's just like through the all of the different services that you can provide, or like you said, you know, if you have a little bit of a retail offering that goes beyond hearing aids into hearing conservation and into, you know, different streaming devices, whatever that might be. I mean, there's so much value there. And and I think that understanding that these are the things that people are actively looking for help for, right? And they're usually defaulting to the internet and, and strangers on the internet, and they're piecemealing their opinions through all these different things. And so who better to help them to inform their decisions than an expert? And oh, yeah. I, I just continue to think that like that's, that is this industry. And, and so in my eyes, it's like, you know, you, you, you either can, 
you can either just cross your arms and say like this, I'm not going to participate in this and, and fine, like maybe you'll be okay. But I think that for those that are really willing to carpe diem a little bit and, and actually like seize the opportunity, I think they're going to do really, really well. Because again, I think like, I think people are massively under underestimating how big this market could really be when it opens up to the mild to moderate section. When you, just as you noted, Steve, you have these macro trends that influence that as well. Like the, the way in which baby boomers are aging, like these are going to be totally different types of buyers than the generation before them in terms of hearing aids. Like we, you know, yeah. we always talk about the beige banana and stuff like that. Like <laughs> the notion of what these people are going to want to wear will change in time. And so I think just like being open to meeting them to where they're they're at and, and, and recognizing that the real value and the real, I think, reason that you fit into this is that you, they're the you're the the person that they're seeking out like they're seeking your knowledge and your expertise and your services and it's a matter of like making those a little bit more accessible in today's times i think anyone i yeah completely agree i think anyone in clinic nowadays they've had the patient come in <laughs> with like a a folder sometimes like a binder's <laughs> worth of uh, like newspaper ads things that they've printed out online and I love what's like behind the curtain on that. It's that they're coming to you to help dispel, you know, fact yeah. from fiction. And yes, people, they, they are looking for help. They want help. People understand the limitations of online research. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, it, it, there's a lot, lot kind of behind the scenes that. <laughs> Fully agree. Okay, well, as we wrap, uh, why don't we share you two, tell us a little bit about where we can connect with you, learn more about the work that you two are doing with the Hearing Tracker podcast, all that. Abram, what about you? Yeah, um, hearingtracker.com, uh, that's the place to go, uh, backslash about if you want to read about me and <laughs> the other people that are helping and working on that project. Um, I don't even think I put Steve on that page, but I need to. Um, yeah, you got to put Steve there. He's, he's, I feel the he's pain. Ob I feel he's, obviously, he's obviously a keeper, you know. He's, <laughs> he's still here, so. Yeah, he's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, need to, I need to do that. I just, that just crossed my mind. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of information on there. It tells you about, um, you know, the history and how we make money and all that sort of stuff. So it's an interesting page. And, uh, and obviously, backslash podcast will take you to – um, everything that we've done from our from our early interview style to our NPR style <laughs> episodes, um, and I guess the podcast is everywhere, right, Steve? I mean, it's yeah, we're on all major streaming platforms. The the podcast thing is wherever you get your podcast, right? Mm -hmm. So wherever you get it, it's accessible. And uh, yeah, and uh, anyone with ideas, thoughts for new content, information like Bose Sound Control, I think. Dave, you'd agree. This is all, all of us. This is what we love doing, providing this information in different modalities so that people can get it so they don't have to fish through the internet like we've been talking about. So as always, anyone with information, questions, good stories, you know, we're here. The people are here to try and help you out and, and share it with others. So never hesitate to reach out. Absolutely. This has been so fun. Great job on uh, each of your debut on, on future ear radio. You guys killed it. So, uh, <laughs> Great, great stuff today. Thanks for having us, man. Yeah, yeah no problem you. at all. So thanks here uh, for everybody who tuned in to the end, and we will chat with you next time. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Future Ear Radio. For more content like this, just head over to futureear.co, where you can read all the articles that I've been writing these past few years on the worlds of voice technology and hearables and how the two are beginning to intersect. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll chat with you next time.